Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where this obviously is not the Final Fantasy. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beige. I never wanted to end. Today, we're talking about Final Fantasy XIV again. So last week, if you didn't listen, you should. But we were talking about Final Fantasy XIV in general and a lot about A Realm Reborn and then just our like general feelings about it, experiences, a lot of cool things the game does that has hooked us. And that's why we've been playing a lot lately, because it's the summer slump. This is our follow-up to that because we didn't really talk about the expansions last week. So we're going to get into the two expansions that are out right now, Heavensward and Stormblood. But before that, you had a thought that you regretted not saying last week. Yeah, all of a sudden it just kind of popped into my head that this is a subscription MMO and we've talked at length about how we don't really care for subscription MMOs. We don't want to pay for that. Generally, we don't get our money's worth out of playing something like that on an extended for an extended period. Yet we're both all in on this one right now, even though we have to buy the expansion and subscribe to it. Yeah, and like for me, I think the way that I treat MMOs is pretty disposable after I play through the content. So I don't mind paying that subscription fee for a little bit. So I grabbed yeah. one of their, I don't remember if it was 60 or 90 day deals to like get the price down, the price you're paying monthly. Yes. Um, but I grabbed one chunk of that and with no intention to renew it. And so right. I know that like that's all I'm going to play. And then I'll probably wait until the next expansion is about to come out and then I'll play again because that's what I did this time. But it, it I don't know, like in one way I understand why they do it and like why it's a good model for them in another way if they wanted me to play this game consistently like forever and never really put it down all the way they would have to lose that subscription model because I've already seen all the content like I'm, I'm basically just playing around at end game right now like I'm kind of leveling an alt but I'm probably going to give that up before I hit end game and I'm doing some raiding minor on the side like one day a week maybe two days a week um but in like when when I'm at that point, it's just not worth the amount of money per month, you know? Yeah, that's generally the way I look at MMOs. And this one, I did the same thing that you did. I grabbed, I think, the 90-day subscription because I have friends coming back and Austin is coming back, he says, once he finishes up the Zodiac Age. So I'm going to have a core group of people to play with for an extended period of time. So I was like, why not get the cheaper subscription? Let's do this. And then it turns out, you know, like you said, I'm doing the end game stuff i'm i'm doing an alt that who knows whether i'll get the white mage up to 70 but i'm having fun messing around and it's it's fun for me to be able to do this and since i paid for a chunk of it rather than a monthly subscription i got it out of the way and i do like doing a 60 or 90 chunk because of this i don't have to worry about when it comes due again like well should i re-up should i unsubscribe and then subscribe at the end of the month am i playing this stuff like nope you have access until this and we will reevaluate at the end of this period and that's kind of the way i look at final fantasy 14 is i know i want to play it for a while and that was a way to keep me from uh, mealy mouthing around and not doing anything about it yeah, me too. And I, I don't know, I like that model better where you can just kind of like pay up front and then not have it auto renew because you, you yeah. actually have to put thought into it when you go to pay money again. Um, 
Whereas I know a lot of people that have had active subscriptions to games for years and years, and mm-hmm. they probably should have canceled it and restarted it a bunch of times, and they've just wasted money. And I don't want to be in that position. I, uh, yeah, I did that with WoW for a very long time, and it turns out that one of my buddies just still had his Final Fantasy subscription going, even though he hadn't really logged in for a while. So That's it was just crazy. like he wanted to be able to. So I understand that. I just don't, I personally don't think that that's worth it. Yeah, I mean, I know people who maintain multiple MMO subscriptions because they really like them, and that's fine. But I'm just, that's not me. Um, Okay, so good to get that thought out there since we missed it last week. But let's get into the expansions. And it's kind of also talking about the in-between patches because, like I mentioned last time, um, you know, like 2.0 was A Realm Reborn, but then they had 2.1, 2.2, all the way through 2.55, I think, was like the last one before Heavensward. And then there was a similar thing that happened between Heavensward and Stormblood. So it's more main story content that gets added that kind of ties up the thing that had just happened, gives you a little bit of epilogue, and then in-between story, and then kind of switches over to a new gear in time for the new expansion, which is really cool. I mean, I like that they do that, and all of that is free. And that kind of stuff is really the best content that they put out. That the expansion initial content is really good. Don't get me wrong. I I love it. But it's those additional dungeons and things that really tend to tend to add the stuff that you want to play those kind of iterative updates seeing that new dungeon seeing what they're putting in these new systems or anything like that in the class updates those are what keep me playing because i love those kinds of updates i love real content updates and that's something this game does very very well yeah it does i mean it does content updates better than probably any other mmo that i've played yeah but even with that said, like, I don't know, I, I don't think it's enough for me to stay subscribed in between, but I know it's a lot for other people. So that's good. Um, but so like, it turns out that's how I've always played it. I went back and looked. I think I sent you a message about it where I started playing Final Fantasy 14 10 days after the 2.1 patch came out. So I started playing Realm Reborn really close. It was about two months since the uh, since the initial release. And played all the way through every one of those content patches in the original one so what i'm used to with final fantasy is that two or three month kind of new content push that they do so i've gotten used to and really enjoy that cool yeah i mean so let's get into heavensward a little bit um i know that you said you didn't really like the content between like a realm reborn and heavensward much that's where you drifted off even though you realized that the in the end that you were only like i think you told me you were like 10 minutes away from getting to heavensward but then later you it told was me an it was hour. more like an hour just felt really yeah. quick right yep it was it was an hour that i was away from heavensward initially and i felt like a total just tool because of it like i felt like a goob it was like i love the dungeons that they put in i really like all of the beast tribe stuff them introducing these not quite wow level reputation gains them them making the game better over those chunks i really loved but i really truly hated the story because i just didn't care it felt like it was trying to be game of thrones with the houses and the way that they were pulling into the heavensward content it just wasn't engaging to me i didn't like the story but i loved the content they were putting out which you know it it both worked and didn't work for me because i fell away from it because our our group stopped playing yeah and for me like i i think it worked because a lot of it was the fallout 
of what happened right at the end of a realm reborn because there's really cool stuff that happens right at the end of 2.0 and i love the fallout of it and then the part that you're talking about which is kind of like the lead up to heaven's word because they do a really good job of doing both at the same time honestly um that part was it was kind of take it or leave it for me but it didn't turn me away from it which it sounds like it turned you away from it a little bit it did because i just stopped caring it was one where they had so many things going on with there are so many threads and characters that i they were introducing so many new characters i think was part of it that i just didn't care i was like i have no no relationship with you why would i care what you're doing and so i just stopped paying attention yeah i mean they introduce characters slowly over time which is probably why you feel that way because by the time you get into that i mean heaven's word content like you get attached to characters and you care about yes. it because yeah I, I don't know i'm probably the reason i'm feeling the way i did was because like i mentioned last week i played from a realm reborn right into heaven's word with no gap like right. basically there was like a week in there where i was literally at endgame and then heaven's word came out whereas for you you had that between heaven's word and Stormblood. you had no mm-hmm. pause right so yep. we kind and of that was took great a different for me point. too yeah so heaven's word in general you basically go to ishgard which is another land country realm kind of thing it's right next to everywhere that you've been in the main game so far and it's, it's across a bridge it's across a bridge it's snowy it's kind of i don't know if it's actually further north but you know you would think about I think that it's a little if, northwest if if you look at the map i think is where they showed it yeah it feels like it but i mean i'm thinking in terms of earth geography so who knows but it's it's all about the dragon song war so it's about Ishgardians who have been fighting against the dragons for like a thousand years or something like that and it's about the dragon side of it too and how they've been fighting back and forth and there's this ongoing war and it's never ending and you get in the middle of it basically so it introduces dragons it introduces um like the Azure Dragoon, which is really cool. Uh-huh. He's one of the main characters. His name is Istinian. And I, I don't know what else to say about the setup. That's kind of it, right? That was the setup. And weirdly enough, I cared zero about anything as they led up to it, except the idea of the Azure Dragoon. I loved that this was the the country that created the Dragoon class, that you were going to be getting lore for that particular class, because, you know, they were created specifically to kill dragons. I mean, they had used the lances, and it showed him using them like that, and I really, I'm with you, I loved Astinian. I didn't know how I would feel about him at first, because he's very hard to like, and then over the course of it, and you see his entire arc and the way that they handle the the relationships with him and the other characters i was i was wanting more of him in Stormblood, and yeah. i wanted more of that story i thought that his arc was probably the most interesting in heaven's word and then there's someone and like i said it's been a while for me um but she's kind of like a shiva analog i don't remember her name yeah the, uh, was it lady iceheart yeah it's, not, it's something, something like that um, i can't remember her actual name all i can think of is uh she, it's not well, her name. No, but she has a really good story, too. Even right. though it's not... It is. It is pretty much a full arc that carries through the whole thing. So I liked Heaven's Word a lot. It also introduced a couple different like gameplay mechanics, too, that I liked. So there's flying, which... I really like the flying in this game, and I think you did too, right? I, I wasn't going to, because I, I, I'm... 
so old school that I was like, I don't see the reason to introduce flying into this. It made the world so much smaller in World of Warcraft. I wish they had never put in flying. I'm, I was that guy. And then when I start playing this and I, I worked through flying in each zone, I loved the way that they did flying. And it is so much better than it is in World of Warcraft. You know, now I just finished up Draenor flying, the last flying expansion, or the last expansion the legion flying that's in the current expansion and they are hard to get especially the legion flying they are work and you know i was glad to get them but final fantasy 14s is not something that you have to work on after everything else is done you're doing it as you progress through the game so you're not having to take time away from playing the game to make playing the game more convenient like it felt like a chore and wow and it didn't in final fantasy yeah, it's it's the mechanic I talked about in the past where you click on like a little compass and it tells you how far away you are from the nearest aether current and you have to find all of the aether currents in an area or in a zone basically. And so it will tell you which direction from you it is and how far away it is. And that's all you get. And it's it's enough but it's also not like a giant arrow pointing you right to it. It's not like a dot on the minimap. So you have to kind of work for it, but it's also not frustrating. It's just enough level of like exploring on your own, but still having a tool to get you to the right place. And yes. I really like that about it. I really liked it. There were only a couple of times I got like frustrated at the system and it wasn't even at the system. It was I wanted to unlock it and I was working toward just unlocking all of the zone ones before the quest ones and I couldn't get it because it was on top of a cliff that I didn't have access to yet or something like that where I'm like, I can't go grab that and you're going to make it not be complete. Uh, But I, I loved it. It was fun to explore that way. Yeah. And, you know, they even made it easier i don't know if you knew about it i only knew about it because i couldn't find one of them uh where i wanted to i was going and i was like i know it says it's up here and the map says it's here or the the compass says it's here and they changed heaven's word ones to make them easier a couple of patches ago so as we're going through it like people knew people leveling up that they're not as hard to get as they were when the expansion was new so they made them in much more accessible places so that you didn't have to work nearly as hard to get them because you may not be spending as much time in that zone oh interesting yeah and like I recently just played through Stormblood, just like you, and I felt the ones there were really good placements. The only time they I were. ever got stopped was if I literally had everything in the zone and I just had to finish some quests because they do yep. lock a couple behind quests so that you can't really like, I think it's mostly so you don't accidentally break the story sequence. Um, I think so. That's the way that I take it. And, you know, it just makes you explore the ground first, too, which isn't a bad thing. It it was never frustrating in Stormblood, whereas in the original Heaven's Word, sometimes I ran into what you're talking about. But it sounds like they've fixed some of that now, too. Yeah, it seems like they fixed it because I went and looked for one when the compass messed up and I found where it was supposed to be. I looked on a map. I looked where my character was, you know, two monitors. I'm seeing exactly what it's supposed to do. I pull it up on YouTube and this dude goes and gets it and it's not there and i asked in the novice chat actually because as a returning player i got in the slash novice and they're like oh yeah they changed that a couple of patches ago they're they're elsewhere now you know you're just gonna have to run around and look a little bit more but they should be easier and sure enough i i kind of you know looked around but they're like yeah any guide isn't gonna work now 
Oh, so I was like, okay. interesting. Yeah, so I mean, that's Heaven's Word. I don't have a whole lot of other thoughts about it just because it was such a long time ago for me. But I I liked it overall. I mean, it's cool because like there's the Ishgardians and there are different factions of them. There's one that wants to make peace with the dragons. There's one that's like, we've been fighting them so so long. How could we ever, you know, come to a peace agreement with them? And then there's the same thing on the dragon side. So there's really like multiple factions within factions and it tells a good story. And overall you get to the point where, you know, big surprise, but you like solve the conflict kind of as much as one person can. Yeah. But that's, I mean, obviously you start the arc and you know, that's where it's going to end up. So, there's not it's not really a spoiler and i say it mostly because all of the content between heavensward and stormblood takes off from there it's like after you have finished that and it's like okay they've agreed to work together towards peace then the next couple patches worth of content after 3.0 which is heavensward um are all about like repairing those relationships and mm-hmm. what about those factions that were kind of hanging out in the wings that don't want peace like, what are they going to do? What's their reaction going to be? And it, it just feels more like a real world in that way. Whereas if this happened in WoW and people came to a peace <laughs> agreement, it would just be peaceful and then you move on to the next thing. Yeah. Or they would go all out into war again because that's what WoW always does. You know, there wouldn't be these intricacies of like, yeah, we agreed to peace, but what about these other people? What about this person's brother who was killed? You know, that kind of thing. It's just it like did. Final Fantasy grounds it more in a really good way. You had like you you touched on, you know, what about these people and all of that? And it felt very much like the Mistborn books, you know, when uh Brandon Sanderson wrote it to see what happened after you uh you killed the big bad guy at the end of the series. Well, what if that's the beginning of the series? And it really had this life to it that I loved. And I got a little bit sad whenever it ended earlier than I expected, because I think that the end of the Dragon Song War was, I think, patch 3.3 or something like that as I was keeping up with it. So there were still a couple of patches. You know, I had to get into the Stormblood stuff and transition, but I wanted it to last another patch, at least. I wanted to have more of that because I loved it, that it felt so much more as a traditional fantasy story than a Final Fantasy story in a lot of ways. It was more of the the modern Final Fantasy stories, I guess, the kind of like, you know, 10 and 12 where they're they're focusing on the human aspect of it and i loved it i mean but i love dragons i mean i forgot how much i love dragons and then they get in there and it's like look at all these dragons and i'm like oh, oh, oh dragons and i had a really good time with you know talking with elder dragons and finding them and being tested by them like i i really kind of went went crazy for dragons on this one that, yeah, that I loved doesn't it. surprise me knowing you. But no, I guess and, I, mean, and, and the, I usually don't. Like sometimes I'm just like, yeah, dragons. You know, it's fantasy stuff. It's another trope. And then I see them, I'm like, oh, there are dragons. But one of the things I like that you were kind of getting to is that because, well, okay, you wanted more patch content there, right? Yes. Yeah, I wanted more of that story attached to the patches as opposed to moving into something else. It it ended more quickly than I wanted it to. And I like the way it ended because they basically said, like, hey, you did the legwork of doing the initial, you know, getting us to agree to work together. But you aren't from here. You aren't an Ishgardian. You aren't a dragon. Like, you're an outsider. We need to hash out the details. We need to figure out how to make this work as two different people that have been warring for a thousand years. Like, you did your part. 
now you got to give us space to do our part and that feels so real compared to other games that would be like that's true you have to help us with every little thing ever it's like that's not how these things work you know yeah it's like you're not gonna live here you know let us you, you can't you can't tell us how to ro- how to live our lives you're gonna leave soon so you know step off right like you got us talking you got the initial agreement now go do your other thing like yep. whatever you got to get out of here and let us do it so i like that about it but it does Although transition they did Oh, yeah, man. that transition, they did have a really, really good story to for that transition that kind of moved it from point A to point B. I did appreciate the way that they did it a lot more than I did in A Realm Reborn to Heavensward because it seemed to be more cohesive than, than you know, here's the story of A Realm Reborn. Now suddenly we're in the story. You know, we're moving back into the story of Heavensward. I thought this one felt a little more organic moving in but maybe that was because i was playing it all at once as well i think that's it because i felt that what you just described that's how i felt between uh, a realm reborn and heaven's word it just felt organic mm-hmm. it felt like it flowed but i had no break in there whereas you had no break in this one and that's probably the difference there um, yeah but one of the things that they do tie together and this was in 2.0 it's been in all of the patch content and in like the main um expansions too are these beings that i i have so much trouble pronouncing their name how do you say it i think it's Asians. is it Asians? A- ask skin i don't know Asians. Um, they're robed figures that's the main thing so there's like black robed figures and white robed figures and they're behind the scenes pulling the strings and they they're very powerful and there's like world spanning consequences but we don't really know what their deal is and yeah, they somehow keep showing up, even though like you as the player character never really run into them. It will take the point of view away from you and go show you what they're doing. So obviously it's leading into something eventually, which is interesting. But the the reason they crop up between Heavensward and Stormblood is because these warriors of darkness, which I always thought was an interesting idea. They've touched on it a couple times in Final Fantasy. It's basically yeah. having, you know, the inverse of warriors of light. And it's people who are saying, hey, the light and the darkness, neither one is really the important one. The important thing is having balance. And in the world we came from, it was out of balance, so we had to work for the dark. And they end up in this world. So there's this little mini storyline, whereas like you are the warrior of light from this world, and they are from another world, and they're the warriors of darkness. I really like that storyline. I wanted that to go on longer. I really liked it, and I, 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 it, it ended, and I was hoping that was going to be a major part of Stormblood yeah, going through. Too. Because when this was going on, I was like, "This is, this is awesome. This is the Final Fantasy of the Final Fantasy story." And then it was a patch and a half, maybe, that they did. They ended it, and I was, I was really disappointed because they didn't really get brought back up in Stormblood. Well, and they've done a couple other things like that, too, where the robed figures, one of the cutscenes, sometime, I want to say it was between Realm Reborn and Heavensward, but somewhere in there, there's a cutscene with two of them on the moon. And people are like, yeah. oh, the next expansion is going to be on the moon, which is a throwback to Final Fantasy IV, if you haven't played that game. And it, they were on the moon for one cutscene, and then it never came up again. It might have been two cutscenes, but they were. It was a couple cutscenes that you, as a player yeah. character, were not there, and then we haven't seen that again. So I don't know what the deal is there. Um, I think they're trying to still keep it mysterious, but there's stuff going on that we still don't know, and they're still going to build on. Yeah, and I love that. I love that they've set this up from the beginning of a Realm Reborn, and then you know continue on with it with these characters because you see them from I want to say it's around level ten. 
that you see them for the first time when you're going through the main scenario. Yeah, so that leads into what Stormblood is actually about, which is the Garlean Empire. So the Garlean Empire was kind of, you were kind of fighting with one of the legions of it that was on the border in A Realm Reborn, and then didn't really touch it at all in Heaven's Word. And then this is getting back to it. And it's finally like doing an actual push to reclaim lands that they had taken. And they are essentially in Final Fantasy XIV, they're basically the big evil Magitek empire, which you've seen a couple versions of that if you've played different Final Fantasies over the year. Um, It's probably mostly a direct connection to like Final Fantasy VI, you know, like the bad guys. Yeah, that's the one I I always connect it to, especially when you get there's you get one of the Magitek Reapers uh, when you fit as a mount when you finish the main scenario in A Realm Reborn and it plays Final Fantasy VI music when you're yeah. riding it so i mean like yeah it is it is a six reference all the way through yep so it's all about fighting the garlean empire but it's kind of a weird expansion because it splits it between two very distinct places mm-hmm. one of them is alamigo which is like a desert area which i just i don't like desert areas in games i find them extremely boring and then the other one is i i always forget what it's called but it's basically like samurais ninjas like Asian-influenced area. Yep. Do you remember what it's called, that country? I can't remember what it's called. I know one of the zones was like Yansha, and I mean, there's... Uh, uh, I don't... I can't remember. There was Doma Castle. I can remember the individuals, but I right. can't remember the... Oh, it starts with an O, but I can't remember the area. Yeah, so Orlean? I, I Orlean. actually liked that storyline better in the like yes, Asian-influenced area than the Alamigo one. But it starts in Alamigo, it goes to the Asian-influenced area, and then it comes back to Alamigo, and then that's kind of where it wraps up. And so you go over there, and you help them, you know, kind of, like, get an uprising against the Garleans, so the Garleans get distracted on basically, like, another side of the world from where you started, and then you go back to, like, the west coast of the Garleans, whereas the Asian one is on the east coast, and you fight them from that side, and that's how you finally win back some territory. Um, But... Also, on top of that, there's a big summon spell that comes into effect that gets contained and then released, and there's Omega that ends up fighting this giant dragon. There's a bunch of other stuff going on that some of it they set up in the patch content before Stormblood, and then you don't yep. touch on it until literally after you finish the main campaign of Stormblood and you get into like the end game, which is actually Omega. And I thought that was really cool. Actually, that was something that I really liked, that they had a a through line of post-content content, that that once you finished it, this is what your max level experience is going to be for a while, that you knew that you could see it, and I really, really like the Omega stuff. Yeah, Omega's really cool. So a little bit more about Stormblood, like, actual story. So there's this whole thing with, like, you know, you're the Scions of the Seventh Dawn. There's a storyline where one of them dies, basically containing a summon spell that is very deadly. And that didn't have, like, any impact on me at all. I felt like it was, like, literally the least developed character of all of the Scions of the Seventh Dawn from the whole game up till this point is the one that died. And I was like, oh, okay whatever um and then i do kind of wish it had been somebody else because at least he had a personality whereas like i don't like ida or maybe it's lease is her name because there was like a mistaken identity thing because they were together and i never really connected with her i never really connected with Papalimo either but it's like he was a funny little dude and she's kind of another 
he's a funny little Lala fell, I guess I should say. And she's just kind of another war scarred pugilist. Yeah, I I don't know. The whole Ida Lease thing being both people at the same time, or she was trying to pretend to be her, her dead sister, sister. and pretending. Yeah. I, I don't really know. No, I know. She was pretending to be her dead sister for some reason. And then in this expansion, she finally goes, aha, I'm not my dead sister. And all the other people were like, yeah, we knew that the whole time. And and OK, so I have a question about that. Was did we ever know Ida or was she always Lease for us? So I looked into it a little bit because like I wanted to know going into recording this episode with you. And I think yes. that a bunch of the scions of the seventh dawn actually were in 1.0 and yes. she was one of them. And so was Papa okay. Limo. and maybe thank Like a, a couple of the other ones were there too. So because you and I never played 1.0, we probably don't right. have the connection that other people would with her. Um, this is true. So maybe it was a big reveal for those people, but all of the other characters around you just go, Oh yeah, we knew that. And I was like, why do I care? To me, it felt like an excuse to just give her a new outfit, honestly. Like, yeah. in the end of the day, that was the main thing that changed. She was like, I don't have to wear my mask anymore. And then they're like, let's get you new clothes. <laughs> and <laughs> Yes, that's, that's true. It's like, you're wearing traditional clothes now. Yeah, yeah. So Although, that was whatever. But I did want to say that uh, they brought Ali Say back. And she was a character yes. that... So there's two main characters that kind of like guide the scions of the seventh dawn and i always forget their names but lca is the one that they brought back and what's the other guy i'm so bad with names yeah alphano thank you i'm bad with names in this game they do have some really terrible names though to be fair for the scions of the seventh dawn with alice alphanote and uriange it's and papalimo is there they have some they have some redonkulous names yeah so alphano has kind of always been there and he's kind of a negotiator and he gives you this context about like the world before the last calamity so like you know 1.0 stuff and um i think that it well, so him and elise are siblings i don't know if they're twins and then their grandfather is the one that you can see he like sacrifices himself to kind of like save the world and save the heroes from 1.0 if you ever go right. back and watch those videos and it's kind of he's at the places. old elfish yeah. guy who dies in the cinematic at the very end exactly so when you start the game you meet elise and Elfno, and then very quickly within like the first five or ten levels of the game elise disappears and you never see her again unless you play the I think it's the Binding Coil of Bahamut, which I never got yes. to because it was end game rating. So for me, from my subjective like point of view, I haven't seen her since probably level 10 and 400 hours ago or 420 hours ago of play. And she shows up again, which I didn't know what I would think, but she is a red mage and she rocks. She's probably she awesome. My favorite character of this whole expansion was Alice. I, she, I just love her addition to the team. Yes, her addition to the team on top of just her personality is so different from everybody else's. It turns out I really liked Alphanode as well. Alphanode was really cool because in the first one, he was in the first expansion in The Realm Reborn, I always felt he was kind of whiny, that he was a scholar and he had to play this almost stereotypical, demure, like kind of shy scholar. But by the end of it, he had an arc where he had put together, you know, the Crystal Braves. He was, he was stepping up and then throughout heaven's word he's your go-to guy that you do not mess with alpha node and then his sister comes along and she is so much cooler than he is like not even in just like you do not mess with her i am scared of her on like a human level right now that i'm pretty sure that she can kill me 
She's a really cool character. Like, she's awesome. And I'm so glad that she didn't die. I know you said you also liked Gosetsu. I loved Gosetsu. The samurai that they introduced to kind of bring people into the Far East uh, in the, the, the sam- obviously the samurai areas, yep. the, the Asian-inspired areas, that I loved him. Like, he is this big, just gruff, but super chill samurai, and I loved him. And then, you know, spoilers here, since we're doing a spoiler cast, but, like, he, he dies, and... That was the first time, like, when he died, I was like, no, they killed my Gosetsu! I liked him! And then you get a cutscene at the very, 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 very end of him being stranded on a deserted island. And I'm so happy to see where that goes, because it means that Gosetsu isn't dead. Yeah, I'm still sad that the... Well, I don't want to spoil it because it's a big part of the first story arc from Realm Reborn. But right, but the, I know what you're talking the scion, about. Yeah, the scion that dies at the end of that story arc, that was the only one that I was really like, oh, like I really liked her. She was a good character. Um, yep. But so that was that's kind of the main characters that we liked from Stormblood. The other one that I want to mention that's not really like on your side, but I thought this was the best enemy that they've had in Final Fantasy fourteen. So they had Xenos and... He's the main enemy of the storyline, and he antagonizes you the entire expansion, which almost never happens, right? Usually they save a big bad for the end. You actually get multiple fights against him over time. And, and th- they're kind of hard. They are hard. Like, it's it's really cool, and it's done very well. And when you finally take him on, because he is the big bad, obviously, like when you get to the end of the expansion, that is an extremely hard trial. But when you beat it, it is such a sense of accomplishment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You got lucky. Oh, man, he goes, okay, he is straight up Final Fantasy. There is no way that you can see Xenos throughout this expansion, fight him as many times as you do, see the armor that he wears, the, you know, the golf caddy of swords that he carries with him. He is a Final Fantasy villain through and through. So the very end of it. He's kind of a mixture of like the Garlean judges from 12 mixed with a little bit of Kefka from 6, mixed with a little bit of Sephiroth from 7. Yeah, that's very, yeah, that's pretty, yep, that is exactly what he is. Yeah, like you can see all of those influences in this character, but it's still its own unique character. And he is awesome. Like, I really like that character. And the very last trial is when he goes full-on Final Fantasy and gets all the superpower and does the transform thing. That I hate that fight. That I th- It is a fun fight once you learn it. Don't get me wrong. It is fun in a group that knows what they're doing. It's a hard but fight, pro- though. I think I wiped 40 to 50 times, and I'm not exaggerating that it took me about a day and a half of just being in a queue for it, just trying to beat it until we finally got it, just of wiping for 15 minutes, and then uh, they would vote to abandon, and then I would just queue back up again. Like, it is, because it's a dancing fight like you have to move out of everything you have to know exactly what the mechanics are and it is hard and you know like i said it's fun when you when you're done but man man that's a roadblock a bunch of the fights took skill in this expansion more so than they did in the last expansion or in the main game content and i think it's fine because it like ramps you up towards end game the last one maybe a little too much but now that people know it it's not as bad i mean just to give you perspective, when you go into a trial, you typically get a 90-minute timer, and it counts down, and if you run out of time, it'll kick you out. And right. 
typically when you're playing through a normal mode, you know, you're not playing on any of the advanced modes or like uh, challenges, you know, like extremes or whatever, you might wipe once on a boss while people kind of get it together with that group mm-hmm. and then you beat it the next time. That's not atypical. That happens a lot. Um, most of the time, you'll just kind of do it on the first try. The Royal Menagerie, when I played it, I played with two other people who had done it already so they knew what they were doing and then the rest of them were randoms and even with that even with people who had done it who were talking us through the mechanics we still used up all of that 90 minute timer we beat that guy with like i want to say it was like four minutes left on the timer and that almost never happens so no no it was challenging but i mean there were a couple other challenging trials too didn't you get stuck on something else in the middle of it Susano. yeah that was that, it. that one i didn't get really stuck on it i had to do it a few times but it wasn't like the royal menagerie it really felt a lot like for me you know you didn't have probably have this issue but as the game progressed initially the titan hard mode was really hard to clear oh, that yeah. before people got geared up before you know people were running the queues uh uh, and they had had the the trial queue that you could go in and it would sink you down to above where you would be if you were at that level. It was really hard to beat that it was a, a roadblock. I know for us that we were that we were having a big issue with it. And a lot of people were at the time. And now it's a joke. I mean, now you go in tight and hard and it's like, oh, derpy, derpy, derp, I got knocked off. And uh, Royal like Susano feels like like the way th- that titan hard did back in the day yeah and this was what i was going to say is that like if you're listening to this now and you haven't played final fantasy 14 yet or you haven't played stormblood in particular um you're not going to run into the issues that we ran into we ran into these things because it was the first couple weeks of content and no one was geared up for it nobody knew the mechanics um right if you come through now like i get thrown into royal menagerie and i get thrown into like susano fights when i do the trial roulette and we almost always clear it on the first go just because like people know it now people are more geared up now um yep. so coming to an expansion a couple weeks later makes a huge difference compared to what we ran into which is why i'm glad that we actually did it when we did oh yeah that i liked jumping in and seeing it i mean i got really frustrated at the royal menagerie don't get me wrong i was working on my on my windows machine those days because uh while i was playing it as much as i did because i would have my work open in one window and be working while i waited on royal menagerie cues in the other and just keeping it up where i could just see when the when the window would pop up it's but it was a lot of fun too being able to have something that i couldn't over gear that that nobody knew and i mean it's ridiculous that the time i beat the royal menagerie i was the one calling out the cues for people to move and what to do and when to kill and like that they were following and i'm the one who stands in the fire void i'm the one i was professor stands in all the fire whenever i raided and wow with my heroic guild why were they following professor stands in all the fire how was i the one that knew the fight I think you just got really unlucky with how many times you wiped, but man, that's I luck think of the so. draw. <laughs> I knew I was like, do this, go over here. Yeah, and you it guys, was... like I said, you wouldn't run into this if you jumped into the game now. This is because we were doing it in the first couple of weeks. Um, the only other like main thing to mention from the story of Stormblood is that Estinian comes back, even though you don't interact with him as a main character. He's kind of like back and wandering around, even though he's not really the Azure Dragoon anymore. He's given that up. Um, and there's some some other stuff with like Nidhogg's eyes, which Nidhogg's eyes played a big like part in the dragon song war towards the end and to carry that over and have it become something in stormblood 
I wasn't sure if I would like it, but in the end, I thought they executed it very well in a way they that did. actually gets rid of them, and they're not going to come up again, which is good. And, you know, you saying that reminded me of something that I wanted to ask you about, just because you played it a long time ago, and I didn't know if it stuck out to you at the time as much as it did me. Like, the dragon's power comes from their eyes. That That's a big thing throughout it. You know, you were just talking about Nidog's eyes, and... They were swapping eyeballs by magic, I know, but they were just standing there and being like, hey, you want my eye, bro? It's like, yeah, sure, give me your eye, buddy. And then it would just float out of their skull and into the other ones. They're like, cool, thanks for the eye, and then fly off. I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, that's super fantasy weirdness. It's just like, huh, their eyeballs just disconnect. Like, the source of their powers just disconnect at any moment they want and just float into someone else's eye socket yeah. that just struck me as weird not, not bad not not anything you know that's detracting i'm just like that's a weird choice to make for storytelling i guess i just kind of went eh, dragons and i moved on all right fair enough i'm just yeah. like man your eyeball comes out so easy yeah <laughs> it's like i don't know so uh with stormblood a couple new actual mechanics they added um so well, there's two new classes. That was really cool. I liked Red Mage a lot. I played around with it a little bit. And then Samurai was fine, but I'm not big into like DPS melee. I like ranged DPS. That's kind of my right. sweet spot for these type of games. But I know that telling you about Red Mage, I feel like is what got you to come back to the game. It was. That Red Mage is what got me to come back. That you were absolutely right about how it played, like what they were doing when they, you know, they were pro promoting it. I love it. That it is not a rotation-based class. I know you and I have had this discussion, but it's not a rotation-based class. It's a priority-based class where you have certain things that you will want to do and watch for, but you don't have to, you won't completely ruin the fight if you don't do everything in a particularly prescribed order that i love that that it's kind of proc based but they proc all the time i mean you've got a 50 percent chance or higher on some of this stuff that you can turn into a hundred percent on getting your abilities with other cooldowns that it's just it's active and it's mobile and it is it's just fun to play that i really really am glad that they put this in there because it's it's a magic class that has one melee combo that you can do that you build up for and then you jump back out of melee range and it hits on everything that i love as being a dps and a support character because i have instant reses and heals that if something just goes completely wrong i can be that clutch healer to throw onto somebody or uh, instant res the the healers that went down and keep going where you know that's not possible otherwise it it fits that role i love to play in this kind of game that that support dps that still can you know compete with everybody else yeah i would say that uh, red mage is probably the best utility class in the game right now and i think that's one of the reasons you like it i know it's one of the reasons a couple of my friends like it also is that like you said you can if you need to in a pinch you can clutch heal you can do instant reses but also it feels like a red mage like if you've played final fantasy games before and you yeah, like does. red mage this one feels like it. It has melee. You dive in, you do some attacks, you jump back out, you cast spells. It has dual cast. It has really interesting mechanics in it. Plus, it has all this cool utility stuff that's situational. So it was really fun to play. Um, if leveling up a secondary character as DPS wasn't such a pain, I would level one up to 70. But 
with the way DPS queues are, like if so, I play Bard. Um, when I main Bard through an expansion, it's fine because I have the main story quest, and basically I'm always queued up for a dungeon or a trial yes. or something the entire time I'm doing the main story quest. And whenever one of those pops, I jump into it. So it's yep. usually every half an hour or so, which isn't bad. But when you go to do an alt class, if you choose DPS, there aren't that many things to do besides like dungeon running. So you can't do that because you've already beaten the main story quest. Whereas if you're a healer or a tank, you can get essentially instant cues into dungeons. So it always makes sense to do your DPS class first with the main story and then to go back and level your healers and tanks, which that's probably some gameplay design that they should even out a little bit, honestly. But with that said, like Red Mage is really cool. Like if you wanted to main a DPS class, it's it's an easy recommendation. And if not, Samurai is pretty interesting too. Uh, but like I said, I'm just not big into like melee DPS. But hey, if you want to live a Samurai fantasy, it seemed like that. It seemed perfectly fine. And I haven't played it that I haven't even unlocked it because I've been having such a good time just playing Red Mage and doing other stuff, you know, leveling up my White Mage, just seeing certain things like that. And I mean, it's not now that they have the Palace of the Dead, it is easier to level up a DPS class because you get a half a level to a level every time you go through. That's true. And it's and they're pretty much instant cues as well. The issue comes in just complete and total mind numbing because you're going to be running those same 10 levels over and over again if you're trying to be the most efficient. And it's even though it's randomly generated, it doesn't matter. You're just running through square rooms, killing the same monsters for 12 hours or so yeah and this is why when we were asked last week like what way we would approach playing this game i really do mean that you should spend some time around that level 15 just swapping classes and finding the right one for you because yeah. leveling up through the main story quest is not hard and you never really get stuck and if you do it's barely for any time at all it just feels like a really good story and you get dungeons along the way no matter what you're playing tank healer dps whatever it all yep. works um it's when you get to the alt classes that you start running into stuff like this. So if you spend that little bit of upfront time when it's super easy to level everything to like 15 and try them all out, that's when you should pick a class and be like, yes, I, I'm sure I really like this one before you move on with it. Yeah, that happened to a bunch of us as well, because we, we were trying out Bard and Pugilist and Black Mage and White Mage and Arcanist and all this stuff. And we finally settled on the ones that we did because they were just the most fun to play. And it wasn't even, you know, we need, need this for our core group who was playing. It was not nah, this is more fun. I mean, Austin switched from Dragoon to Bard because at that time the bar or the dragoon mechanics of getting out of cleaves and melee range was so hard that, that at that point in the game uh, they, they were unintuitive i guess is the better way that they died a lot dragoons died a lot back in 2.1 so he switched to a bard because uh range is where it is at <laughs> <laughs> nice so i guess the last major thing to talk about for stormblood is probably the end game which is omega and yep omega is interesting because it has a storyline leading into stormblood and then you literally don't talk about it or hear about it until you've beaten stormblood and you hit end game and then omega is the end game raid right now so it's called the delta scape is the raid and one of the other characters in it is Alpha, who's the Chocobo from Chocobo Mystery Dungeon, I believe. And he's so cute. He is. He's adorable. I love I Alpha. Want, 
I want to ride that Chocobo so much. <laughs> Why is there not an alpha mount? That, there that, might I'm be sure eventually. there's going to be. I mean, there has to be eventually, but I want it now. So, yes, I agree. No, alpha is fantastic. But the premise of Omega is that it can summit. It, it basically brings you inside the Delta Scape, and it's trying you out against other tough things to beat. And it goes, yeah. you know, you can have a party. You know, there's some, like, things like that to make it fit into the game better. But it says, I can summon any being from any reality. And it's kind of like fictional or non-fictional, anything from time or history. And it is essentially set up so that they can pull in whatever kind of Final Fantasy reference from any game out there. And it yep. would fit into these Omega raids. So the first set is it's called v 1.0 so they're all like you know whatever 0.0 um different versions of it so there's one through four right now and they're all straight out of final fantasy 5 which is really cool they're all Let's throwbacks to final up. fantasy 5 and where other things in final fantasy 14 take inspiration from past final fantasies and apply it forward and kind of remake a character in their own image that fits into the world of 14 these ones in the delta scape don't do that they just straight uh -uh. up pull them from five in a really cool way. I, I liked these a lot. Did you? Yeah, it's not even like the Garlean Empire is kind of the Final Fantasy VI Kefka Empire. It's like, no, this is X-Death. It's like, this is this is the warlock that turns into a tree. Just go fight him now. Yep. It's, I loved them. That that the Delta Scape is really, really fun. I don't like the first fight very much just because of its mechanics. It, it's just not too fun, but I love the rest of them. And version three is my favorite. V3, yeah. I just want to run over and over again because it's super fun. And it takes even like you run around through the desert of shifting sands. And that's something straight out of five. It's not even a boss fight. It's just like, hey, you want to follow the sand and to go all these arrows and you can't move a different way here you do it in the mmo too yep yeah and it's like, just it's, it's like super said, cool one is not cr a crazy fight two is really interesting because you basically have two planes you go up and down so you can either be mm -hmm. levitating or not levitating but the thing is if you hit the levitation button you have no way to get back down unless the boss pulls you down so if you misjudge you end up on the wrong like up or down vertical plane which is fun like it was really cool to get your head around it the first time but three is the one that stays like challenging and interesting consistently no matter how many times i play it because there's so many different mechanics in it and one of them is like you sometimes have to avoid when she casts toad because you don't uh -huh. want to become a toad and there are other times where you absolutely have to dive into that and become a toad otherwise you will get killed yep. and there are things where she like lays out um a board that has different icons on it so there's one for healer one for tank two for dps and you have to get onto your icon for your class and then sometimes those are toads instead so there's there's a lot of really interesting things like that and i am very curious to see what the savage mode of this one looks like because it has Me so too. much potential to be crazy and i haven't done any of the savage modes that that i love stuff like this i've done one of the extreme modes but i love the the lakshmi ex uh, this is a great fight but and i want to do the savage delta escapes and i just haven't taken the time because a lot of my time is during the day when i'm working and i really don't want to take the time to learn a savage mode fight when you know i should be you know getting billable hours yeah i'm probably gonna do a round or two of savage modes just to try them out and experience the content and then i'm yeah i feel like i'm kind of done with the game until they get more content in it and okay. 
but I mean, I I like these a lot. Like they were fun. They were fun end game raids. I just I don't know. I devour content in MMOs, then I want more. And when it's not there, I move on to the next game. And I know that. Like I told you this before I even started playing that yep. this would happen. And it's just a matter of when, because it's not a question of if with me. And I mean, this is one of those things where. I was talking to people about it the other day because a lot of the people in like Twitter and Slack that I talk to are in the same free company in Final Fantasy 14 that I'm in. So I've been talking to them about it. And one of my friends who's in the free company um, is Belgast, which if you guys don't know him on Twitter and on podcasting and blogging, he's very prolific on all those places. But he told me in chat the other day, he's like, I just don't think you're an MMO player and that's okay. And it it really... I think I needed to hear that. I think I needed to hear yeah. the part where it's okay. You're not. Yeah. It's and okay. Yeah. But you're not. No, and I'm not. And and he said that like they appreciate when I stop by to like devour the content and hang out for a few weeks, but it's also understood that it's just not my thing, and that's fine. Like it's fine to be like that. And I mean, some people like a game where they can just go back to it forever and ever with no real end goal in mind, and more and more I'm realizing that's not me. I mean, I I have a bunch of like evergreen games that I go back to if I really just want to play something and I don't want to think about it, but I barely touch those. They're just kind of like back burner of a back burner just in case. And they sit there, they sit on my hard drive of my PlayStation. They sit on the hard drive of my PC. And I know a lot of people that they'll pour, you know, hours every night into something like rocket league or overwatch or here's of the right. storm or all of these games that I go back and I touch every once in a while but I just don't make a lifestyle out of that. So, yeah, I don't know. That's one of those things where I'm reaching that point. I wanted to do these episodes back to back because I'm still so excited about it and I love the content I've experienced and I can feel my interest waning off. Like, I'm within a week or two of just being done with this again until either a major patch comes out or the next expansion comes out. And one of the things that also caught my attention was in the documentary we talked about last week, the right. director producer, Yoshi P. Yeah. He said that he wants to make a game that people can come and experience and then walk away from for a while. He doesn't ever want to make an MMO that has to devour your life because there are those out there. He's like, I don't want final fantasy 14 to be that game. And I feel like it's not. And that's why I'm okay coming back to it when I do. And that's kind of astonishing for me to have heard that when he said that it goes against so many preconceived notions that I had about Eastern gameplay, about Square Enix in the you know themselves, because most Eastern MMOs are all about grinding, are all about making sure that you're putting in that time that you are that you are coming in every day and doing it and playing it and making sure that you're making that progress that a lot of the uh the korean mmos are like this you know final fantasy 11 was absurd for this and i mean somebody died because they played for so long doing it in a cat in an internet cafe i mean that is a far far you know exception but because there was a raid where they stayed up playing for 72 hours and the raid didn't even end that when final fantasy 11 it was nuts that this was going on and people have still never beaten it as far as i know that raid has never been beaten and they never nerfed it but i mean yeah it, it kind of struck me as odd that 
he would say, I want to make a game that you don't have to log into every day. But also, I really appreciate that because I've had a wonderful experience having taken two years off and having a huge game to explore. And now I'm at that point where I don't have an end goal. I've beat the content. I'm going through. I'm gearing up, getting a piece every now and then. And I'm I'm at a, a good power level where I can just do what I want to. And I'm great with that. I love being able to log in, have my Hot Tub Tuesday with my buddies, play around, do a dungeon, and feel no pressure, where that's what I love about MMOs. That's whenever it starts to really gel for me, is when it stops feeling like a grind to a goal, to some sort of of item level, or quest, or story, or unlocking, or attunement, where... I can just live and exist in this world for a while. That's the way MMOs have always been for me, with Ultima Online, with Star Wars Galaxies being my two favorites, really, of, of that I've played ever. They're the ones where you build a community that you could put down a house, where in, you could elect a mayor of your town in Star Wars Galaxies, that a lot of the stuff that I did was in that kind of sandboxy living in the world. And that's kind of the way I reason I like Final Fantasy XIV is, I mean, we have our house, we have our Hot Tub Tuesdays, we have our garden that we tend to, and we just kind of go play around and, you know, see if we can duo some of these old primal extreme modes or do do whatever we want to and that's what the game is for me as opposed to being an evergreen game like overwatch where i'll go in play with you or rob or whenever one of us is on at the same time as the other one but it's just yeah okay it's sitting there and i'm gonna leave mmos just feel a a sense of i don't want to say meaning but kind of of persistence and permanence that I can always come back to and know that that world exists and that all of my stuff hasn't gone away and that it wasn't wiped away just because it was match-based. Does yeah, that make sense? No, it does. It's it's so not why I'm in it, but it does make sense. Like, I get it from where you're coming from, and I know you like that about it. I mean, I guess... I do. it For me, my goal at this point is to stop playing this before I get burned out and while I still have really positive feelings about it because I kind of try to push myself into that MMO player mold with Heaven's Word a little bit more than I should have. Okay. And I burned out on the yep. end game. Like I I just I know I hate the gear treadmill and I just don't like getting caught at the end of content without a clear end in mind when I've kind of experienced it all, but there's more gear I could go for if I want. And hey, there's this nebulous patch coming at some point. Like I just I don't like that. And I'm almost to that point. You know, I'm like within a week or two of hitting that point. And as soon as I do, my goal is to stop so that I am very happy with it and very excited to come back with the next expansion. Um, I don't want the hesitation I felt with Stormblood because I really wasn't sure. I almost didn't pick it up. I almost said, no, I think I'm done with MMOs completely. And I'm glad that I didn't. So I want to keep this frame of mind going for the next time because i had such a good time with stormblood i want to have such a good time with whatever 5.0 is so i and i know myself enough that i know i need to stop soon you feeling that way is what made me come back though where i felt the same way i was burned out i was tired of it i didn't care about heavensward even though my friends did and i was stormblood wasn't even on my radar i mean i pointed it out to my friends just to make sure that they knew it was coming out and i had zero reason to get stormblood and then 
I bought it and I loved it and I've had a fantastic time with this. And it's because you had that idea, like you said, that you had to, had good memories you wanted to see. And now I've had these good these great experiences and it revitalized the game for me where I don't want to burn out on it just like you. And I'm going to wait on these patches. I'm going to play with my friends, but I'm not going to get to the point where we kind of trickle and drift, trickle off our playtime, drift away and just kind of lose that, what we're feeling right now where it's fun and exciting. And that's really what these kinds of games thrive on to get us to come back. Yeah. Yeah. So any last thoughts on Final Fantasy 14? Um, you should wait and or at least keep an open mind because 4.1 should be coming out. I think they're aiming at an August-ish kind of release date on it. So within the next month, month and a half that you since you have an active subscription should come back and at least see the content that they've put in for it. Yeah, and I I would say in general for other people, like if anything we've said in the last two episodes interests you, you should probably pick up the game and give it a shot because it's good. Right. Like there's so much content between where we are right now and where you are when you start out. That oh goodness! It gives you basically three Final Fantasy games worth of content to explore and go through the story. And there's just there's so much there. So don't be afraid to jump in and try it. Even just with A Realm Reborn, just right from level one, like it's it's a good game. Like I recommend it if you haven't realized by now. <laughs> yeah, with us doing a two parter on this, that it's uh, we love this game, and you you've put in over four hundred and fifty hours on it, and we know that I have way More over that, that. Yeah, just because of of how I play MMOs, and I, I meant to look it up before this episode. I meant to do that, but I forgot uh, just to see what it was and it's it's just one of those things where it is so if you're coming in from the very beginning right now there i powered through two years of expansions in two and a half to three weeks and that was because i had the time to do it work was slow i had some time to be able to spend doing that but if you are a normal human being who doesn't work from home and have fewer hours and don't have an entire full weeks of worth of hours to get it's going to take you a long time to get through this and that's a good thing yeah there you go so final fantasy 14 we definitely recommend it um Let's dive into our geeky offer of the week. This week we have Audible. So I have a book this week. Um, I talked about Red Rising a while back. You remember? Yeah, I've got it on Audible, but I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, so Red Rising is still good, but I just finished Golden Sun in the last week, and that's book two in the series. Okay. And I did it my normal thing where I kind of split it between Audible and reading on my own time because of the Whisper Sync, and I recommend it. Like, if you like Red Rising, you should pick up Golden Sun. Um, my only regret is that I did not read these back-to-back. -back. I should have because there are a lot of characters by the end of Red Rising, and it it goes directly into golden sun. Like there's a tiny bit of a time jump, but it's like months. It's not years. And all of the characters from the end of the first book are in the second book. And it took me a little bit to get my mind back into who's who and why do I care about them and how they're related. And after I got that point, I loved the rest of the book. So it was really good. And I immediately started reading book three when I finished it, which is always a good sign in a book. And it's one that the audible version is great. They do a lot of different accents. It really makes the book fun. Um, so you can get that if you want at audibletrial.com slash geek to geek cast. 
or you can get any other book. Either way, it helps the podcast and it gets you a free book. So everybody wins. I should also say on the network this week, I know that there's a San Diego Comic-Con, I think, from, I can't remember if it's Rob or it's from Joe, but hey, check out Geektitude, check out the comic <laughs> box. Either way, they both have good stuff every week, and I'm sure one of them must be talking about San Diego Comic-Con and all the news coming out of it, even though we are not. <laughs> so, this is true. Yeah, that's always good. Um, time for Weekly Geekery. Why don't you go first? I know you've been playing other Final Fantasies. I have. Um, I was talking last week about playing Final Fantasy VI on iOS, pushing through the awful UI because it had hooked me. It was great. And I got to the point where the story basically ends once you get to the world of Ruin. And it it's basically – and one of the things that the iOS version does is gives you a note on where to go that it tells you if you get stuck, like, hey, you could probably go do this. There's a little Moogle that helps you out. And I pressed it at one point just to see what it said. It's like, you can continue to collect your party members or you can go fight Kefka at any time. And I'm like, seriously? That's all the story? It's just side stories and side quests at this point. I have to recollect the team that I just spent 15 to 20 hours putting together just to get them back together to beat the game. This is dumb. I do not remember this. You know, maybe my my, my adolescent self just ignored this and be like, I'm going to do everything because this is fun and it's a video game. But nostalgia should have stayed nostalgia on this one. I really really got irritated at that i did I, I the story's great but it just ended so quickly that i remembered it being more than well, that you know there's more story you just got to go get your party members because there's story around each of them and it's interesting and also <sighs> you live in 2017 you don't live when you first played this game go get a guide and just follow it it'll take you like a couple hours to get all your party members it's not I a big know, deal but i'm just like uh but just, i did start because of that i started playing final fantasy 5 okay well there's the silver linings that that because of that i was uh the last time i played 5 was the fan translated emulator version before there was a north american release and the ios version is much better than that one that yep. this is a great game that that i am having a lot of fun with the job system i like the goofy story that it has i mean it does not have a deep story in final fantasy 5 at all no but i really like it and i did notice another final fantasy 5 reference from uh final into final fantasy 14 that uh galif well here where galif's granddaughter krile is a scholar who does magic e type stuff and she is the little lala fell cryl scholar from heaven's word that goes yep. through into storm's blood and I, I didn't realize that yeah it's just one of those names they carry over yep. between stuff I, I didn't know that 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 they carried that one over so it made me kind of happy when i noticed that so yeah cool no i'm glad you're liking it it's that is a really good game i do it recommend is it that is one. really good and then you said that you got around to castlevania finally I, did i did watch castlevania it was really good it was definitely anime but it was the anime that i liked that it had that kind of gothic horror action that i really liked that was very similar to vampire hunter d and berserk and tone and 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 just atmosphere really liked it um i i posted i think yesterday on twitter about you know why didn't they just do it as a movie or as a as a single episode tv series kind of like they do with sure 
Sherlock and uh, had a really, a really, you know, good response that they were testing the waters to see because it was a fully serialized TV show that it, it where one ends, the next one picks up and it's really good that it's super good. So yeah, I can't I mean, wait for season two because of this test, too. They got the green light on a couple other things. There's like an Assassin's Creed one that they're going to work on. And I want to say there's one other that I can't remember off the top of my head. Oh, cool. Yeah. But they basically said this is a trial video game stuff once you move it to tv or movies always fails so let's see if this format works and it did so it got a really good response but i'm glad you liked it i thought you would just based on the setting and the content of it i really did now i like castlevania games to begin with so like i i told you last night that i don't know in depth the lore but there was stuff that happened and little nods that i saw to two different games to how things were put together and played that uh that i remember from my childhood and even from you know recent games that i've played where it's like oh yeah that guy or you know oh that's cool i remember when i did that with this item it was it was fun yeah um so I finished the third Mistborn book a while back. I don't think I'd mentioned it to you and moved. I didn't listen to the Kelsier story yet, but I moved directly into the Alloy of Law. And there is so much more cohesion between those series, reading them back to back, than there was reading it. And then when Alloy of Law was just first released when I read it. Oh, yeah, totally. That there's so much more that makes sense and is put together that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what they meant. That had just already left my mind. So I'm, I'm really glad that I moved from one series into the next. I'm really liking Alloy of Law. Not quite as much as I did the first time, but it's probably because I know what to expect and and have just blown away by the first Mistborn series as well. well. I will say that Alloy of Law is the weakest of that trilogy, so if you even like it a little bit, book two and three are way better. Okay, because I started book two without remembering much about Alloy of Law, and that's why I went back. That is that is legit the reason I went back to reread it, is because the second one didn't make a lot of sense to me without the base of the first one being fresh in my mind. So that was what spurred me doing it to reread all of them before uh, Oathbreaker or Oathbringer or whatever it is that comes out in the fall for the third Stormlight. So I'll get to it, but yeah, that's good to hear that the others are better. Because yeah, I, I really do like this one. It's just not, I remember it being much more epic than it was, than it currently is. But I know it's going to get there because I'm already seeing foreshadowing. Yeah, no, if you like that first one in the second trilogy, you'll like the rest of the second trilogy. And then I'm I'm looking, I've been thinking a lot. And one of the things that I'm thinking, I've been thinking about this whole freelance stuff is that I need to learn JavaScript Uh, because even with doing WordPress, you know, it's taking over a lot that you still have to be able to dig into JavaScript to do stuff. And a lot of what I've been doing this week is looking and figuring out how to get JavaScript to do what I want it to do and just research here and there. I've been thinking, you know, I wanted to be a developer, but I've turned more into a designer at this point. And what I I really, really want to do is sit and code and make things so you and i have always talked about learning swift and things like that and i looked into i I just stumbled across react native that i didn't know about have you looked into react native before not just react but react native I know React, but not whatever the native part is. Native is super cool because it takes the libraries of React, uh, the JavaScript libraries, for those of you who aren't familiar with it. It's the Facebook open source JavaScript libraries uh, for website building. And native 
makes apps with it. It has a couple of, of transpilers that work in what's called JSX that basically directly interact with the elements for phones for iOS and Android, where it's not like Cordova or one of the others that takes a website and wraps it and basically uses WebView to put a website in an app. This is using native, uh, native controls, native everything. It runs in separate threads where it is a a fully native app on your phone that is written entirely in JavaScript and then compiled or transpiled into a native app on Android or iOS. That so, sounds messy, but interesting. It's not that messy. I'm going through it right now, and it sounds messy, but right now it is just like it is just writing JavaScript out. It is importing libraries and just and picking and just writing things out. Where it might get messy, but where I'm learning it right now, I'm really excited because it's going to allow the change of skill or the translation of skills much better than learning Swift would be a completely compartmentalized skill. I'm going to be able to use this to get better at JavaScript to really do everything that I want to do with it, both WordPress design and app development. Yeah, so, I can see that. So I'm excited I think you also, about it. How many languages do you know for programming? Like uh, really well. I'd, really well i know enough ruby to be dangerous i can poke around at javascript at this point but not not anything super duper in depth other than you know html and css and those aren't even okay so programming right i was gonna say once you learn two programming languages you realize how much actually does carry over between every single one so i think even if you were not that you're going to at this point like your plan sounds totally like the right thing to do for you right now but like if instead you had to like went full force into swift um yeah i think you would get the same end result which is oh, oh yeah hey, these skills actually are very transferable it just like it just takes a little bit of syntax learning but that's yep. never a big deal once you get two it's one is one thing but once you pick up your second programming language then you go oh okay and like it, you just make all these connections that never really go away and that's really what's going on with react right now because i spent so much time on ruby to get to the point where i could start freelancing starting with react and the react native frameworks and libraries it's like okay i know how to do this i know what i'm doing and it's getting me to the point where i'm way more comfortable tweaking the javascript that I'm having to do than I was even before this. So like you said, for what I need right now, I'm excited about finding a tool that covers everything kind of all in one. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. Good job. I mean, good luck. Like that. <laughs> good job. Good. Um, seriously, good job. Like no, picking up a no, new I language didn't... is like a huge undertaking, especially when it's your second one. Like at this point, I can jump into a lot of different frameworks and programs and templating engines because I've done a bunch of them. But yeah, I remember feeling like I didn't have enough when I only knew one language. And right, after I get that, yep. the second one under your belt, like it's this weight off your chest because you realize how transferable those skills are. And I, I don't know, it only gets easier and more fun after that. So it's yep. cool to see that you're like right there. Yeah, I am right there where I am able to see what I want to come to fruition 
potentially able to. So I'm, I've got a couple of projects that I want to work on that I can see myself being able to do with this. And WordPress released the REST API recently, so I can mess around with JavaScript and React. And it ties into the elegant theme stuff that I can write about. Like I'm just really excited to find a bunch of stuff that pretty much just has a thread through everything that I'm involved in right now. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, for me this week, um, I played Splatoon 2 because it came out and I needed a new game. And like I said, I'm, I'm winding down on <laughs> FF14. Yep. And uh, I still hate motion controls so much. The The tutorial was horrible because I couldn't disable them. As soon as I got out of the tutorial, I turned off motion controls and I was like, oh, there we go. Okay, now I can play this game. Um, I, I just, I hate motion controls. Even on the Switch? Oh, that God, it, it, yeah. Even with the better motion controls than the Wii U? No, it doesn't matter. They're still, I just, I hate motion controls. Yeah, so that was bad, but Splatoon 2 itself is good. But it's basically just Splatoon 1. It, I mean, it's portable. Like, if you're willing to play a portable Splatoon 1 and it's worth the money to you, go for it. Like, I've gotten enough money worth spending out of it, you know what I mean, just because yes. of how much my kids <laughs> have played it already. Value. Yeah, value, thank you. Um, and how much my kids are going to play it in the future. Like, I'm having fun right. with it this week. I'm probably going to have fun with it for another week or two, and then I'll taper off because I know me. Um, but they'll keep playing it. You know, just like they're still playing ARMS and loving it. And I have That was it. actually what I was opening my mouth to ask. Are they still playing ARMS? Oh, yeah. Because this sounds really similar to the way that you handled that release as well. No, it's exactly like that. I mean, they're bouncing back and forth between both of those. But they'll sit down and play, and then they'll kind of switch over, and they'll take turns. And um, they like both of those. And both of okay. them have been totally worth it. Whereas for me, like, you know, it, it only has so much staying power. The one... Well, there's two downsides to this game that I've noticed so far. Um, let me talk about the upsides first really quick. There's a new single player, entirely new. I like it better than the first game, even though it's not all okay. that different from the first game. But the boss designs are just as good, if not better, than Splatoon 1. And that was the strongest part of single player. So they carried that through and they've improved on it. And single player is really fun. And then the other thing is there's a new mode that is called Salmon Run. And it looks really cool. I say looks really cool because I haven't gotten to play it yet because Nintendo being Nintendo, you can only play during their designated play times. What? Which is once every couple days for like 12 hours. Why? It's yeah. a new game that you've... Re that, that, mm. I know. I know, right? So I don't, I don't Nintendo understand. Being Nintendo, this is one of the features they were like touting the most going into this game is... It's a co-op mode, and from every review I've seen, it is the best thing they put in Splatoon 2. I can't speak to it personally because I haven't gotten to play it yet because my timing just didn't work out. Like, I've played this game a bunch in the last, like, four days, and I, I just I haven't been online at a time where they were doing Salmon Run. So I don't, I don't know what the deal is. It's, that's I'm, dumb. And then... I don't even have a Switch or any... any any salmon in this run but i'm so mad that, yeah. that is that's just bad business we had a nintendo a nintendo episode where we discussed this but man nintendo stop being nintendo yeah you think one of these years someone is going to finally like introduce them to the internet the right way but no um yeah and the other thing that goes along with this is they released their voice chat app and it is just horrible like it, <laughs> i have I seen mean, so many memes yeah I'm, i played around with it because i thought like i should give it a shot to talk to people on the podcast about it but i mean granted it has 
a couple cool things that are integrations with Splatoon. So you can see like some stuff with your gear and your level and your last few games that you've played. And um, you can pick out like custom gear and like kick it over into the shops in your game so that you can pick it up there. Um, so there are, there are interesting things that have integrated with the game into the app. And it looks like there are different sections so that every game that integrate with this app can have its own custom things that you can go online and track even when you're not playing the game. That part is good. That part needs to be yes. built on. It needs to be expanded. But what's there is great. It's a great baseline. The voice chat part of this game, like the, of this app, is just it's. I don't understand how they can mess it up so bad. Even basic things <laughs> like the fact that to be talking to people in this voice chat app, you have to have your phone on. You have to be on the screen of this app, and it has to be the screen has to be on. Like, uh-huh. e- there's no background process. Right. Whereas like that's a big thing on every app out there that does voice chat. Like it's a background process and it's, it's it's allowed. I know you get access to that. It's things like if you get a push notification, it pauses. If you double tap out of the app to go look at another app, it shuts off the voice chat. It's like, you know how your phone is supposed to be a multitask device. This turns it into a single task device in the worst implementation possible. So, it it's bad. I mean, Nintendo is getting a yep. bunch of flack for it, so hopefully they make it better over time. But as of right now, just use Discord or something. Honestly, like there's no point in using the voice chat part of this app. I mean, maybe pick it up so that you can kind of do the integration things I was talking about, but not for the voice chat or the party making or any wow. of that. Yeah, it's really bad. So that was Splatoon 2. Um, the other thing I tried this week was the Destiny 2 beta, which have you heard anything about mm-hmm. it? I've heard a few things about it. I've seen you talking with a couple of people. I've seen a couple of things online about it where it's uh it's Destiny. Certainly is Destiny too. Yeah, it is. And it's more of a demo than a beta. I think okay. what we expect from a beta these days is kind of fully featured, let us see a little bit of everything. And I mean, it's not the full game, but it's at least like a taste of everything the game has to offer because they're testing it out. Right, makes sense. This is, from what I've read and heard, it is exactly what they had presented at E3. It's like a little chunk of the game. Um, So you basically get to play the first story mission, and then right after that you get access to one strike, and besides that you can try PvP, which I don't care about PvP at all in this game. Like, when the full game comes out, I'll probably play it a little bit for one week, but PvP, I just don't care. Like, I, I like pve i like the story i like improving my character and doing co-op and stuff that's why i'm in the game i don't care about player versus player at all so for me it was one story mission and then one strike mission it was probably an hour of content altogether, and then i was done with it but that being said it's destiny i mean it looks like they finally learned how to tell a story in game instead of in those grimoire cards outside of the game um (laughs) good which is good i mean that was the main thing i was worried about that was the main thing i wanted and it's there so that's good um i like the story hook which is that the the traveler has been like taken over and the last city has been invaded and you've been kicked out and you don't have the whatever it's called anymore the thing that makes you raise i always forget what it is because i don't know the lore of this game because they hate it in cards um but you know the thing that would and you're illiterate yeah really so the thing that (laughs) lets you uh res over and over again okay the whatever they call it in destiny oh man 
if people, I don't even people know. listening who are Destiny fans are going to kill me right now. Um, but you don't get that you anymore. You can send your hate mail yeah, you can to at... You can, too, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, the strikes are better. Like, the, the content of the actual strike was much more interesting, and the boss was a lot more interesting, even though it still had okay. a little bit of the bullet sponginess going on. Um, it felt like every phase of that fight, it should have had about half the HP that was there, but... It's still an improvement on all the bosses from the first game, so it steps in the right direction, you know. But, I mean, with all of that said, the core gameplay loop is still one of the best shooters out there. Like, if you ever liked the Halo games when they were in their prime and you haven't played Destiny, like, that's it should go Halo 1, 2, 3, and then go over to Destiny, because that's basically what happened. Actually, I can't remember who did Reach, if it was Bungie or if it was 343. I... I don't remember actually. I thought it was Bungie though, but it might maybe be not. Reach might be the last like real Halo game before that sounds right, actually, now that I'm I saying thought it. So yeah. yeah. Um but after that, Bungie moved on to Destiny and it shows. Like it it's this core gameplay loop, shooter loop that you can't quite get this anywhere else. And it's really good. It's really solid. It's still there. Um they've tweaked it a little bit, but it's it's basically the same as the first game. Not that that's a bad thing. I still love hand cannons, which <laughs> is not surprising. They were the most fun for me in Destiny 1. I still like them in Destiny 2. And you know, they made a bunch of little tweaks to the weapons and some other systems and stuff, but I know people are obsessing over them. I never really obsessed over Destiny 1. I just played it and enjoyed it. So, to me this just feels like an iteration, not an evolution. But that's exactly Which, what I was expecting. Like, I'm not let down. Yeah. I thought it was fine. That's that's really what I expected to hear about this, that it was destiny. And that's not a bad thing. No. It's It's really not, because you don't want to alienate your player base. And you you if you're not going to go completely all new, then you really do want to do a major iteration. And with it being on console rather than PC, uh, primarily... It's uh, it, with it being console based, I suppose it's it's not something like Guild Wars Two where you can completely change everything about it because there is an expectation out of console shooters. Yeah, and I don't know. It's it's fine, and it's an iteration, and I like it. I'm gonna buy it. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure that the people who love Destiny One and rate it all the time, and they have fire teams that they played with consistently have very in-depth thoughts about a lot of the parts of it but like i said i casually played it and casually enjoyed destiny one and i am on track to do the same thing for destiny two and i mean i want to play it i don't want to pay for it which is one thing because i i played the demo of destiny one realized it was just polished halo and bounced off of it but I'm not the first-person shooter player you are. That's not a detriment to it. It's what it is, and it just wasn't what I was looking for. I was looking for an evolution of the genre, and that wasn't it, but that wasn't the game they were setting out to make either. I would say it's more than polished Halo, but I also know that you don't play as many shooters as I do, so I can see where you're coming from with that. But, I mean, the thing is, I'm going to buy it. I know I'm going to buy it at this point, so when it comes out, I'll be playing it, and I'll be 
we'll definitely talk about it on the podcast in September. I think it's out in September. I don't even remember when it is, <laughs> but yeah. That about does it for this week. You can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have longer discussion threads on the subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast and one of the best ones on there every week. We have a weekly geekery thread for you guys. I don't know if we've ever mentioned that before, but it's community run. We don't post that one. Other awesome listeners, thank you listeners, post that one. Um, But seriously, come on there because I read it every week and we interact on there and we talk about what everybody in the community has been geeking out about that week. It can be anything. Come check it out. Reddit.com slash r slash geek2geekcast. It is super cool. And, you know, with that in mind as well, it's all about community. We're part of a podcast network. Listen to all of our shows, people. You can go to geek2geekcast.com and, you know, see what shows we have that tickle your fancy. I blog at agreenmushroom.com and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's. And you can find me online at bjkeaton.com. We've been Void and Beej with your Geek to Geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Koopo for the final time. Comics. Hey everyone, this is Rob, your friendly neighborhood comic geek. And this is Liam, the the languishing, lascivious Liam of Langley. Wow, that was extremely illiterate of you. Well, I try. We are the hosts of The Comic Box, part of the geek to geek podcast network. So, join us. Bop, bop. Oh, yeah.